What does it look like for the people of the kingdom of God to engage in social issues of the day? When? How? What's that going to look like? That's what we're going to get into today with a special guest on the All Things All People podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome back to the All Things to All People podcast with Michael Burns. I am Michael Burns, and we are continuing to go through the topics and themes from the book Escaping the Beast. We've arrived in chapter 21, and we're going to talk about personal social issues that we um, will tend to face as Christians in society, in the world. How are we going to respond to those things? And that's what we're going to uh, examine today, particularly what we're going to do today is use um, or utilize, look at one uh, particular uh, set of social issues and use that as a paradigm. Uh, we obviously can't get into every conceivable social issue that we might uh, need to consider or uh, face or uh, engage with. But we're going to look today as a, a, a test case, a, a set of issues that can be sort of put under one umbrella, and that is the LGBTQ um, community and the surrounding issues. How, as kingdom citizens, can we best engage with that community and, and show them what it looks like to be the kingdom? And I have a very special guest today, Guy Hammond, who's the founder and director of Strength and Weakness Ministries. And we're going to meet him and chat with him in just a moment. But before we do that, I do want to say that, you know, one of the um, issues that will come up in this discussion is what is the role of legislation, of laws. And when I consider laws, one of my favorite things with laws is some of those crazy laws that are still on the books. And you go, what were they thinking when they passed those laws? Did they think that was going to make a difference? And so, for example, and I talk about some of these uh, in the opening of chapter 21, but um, Legally, if you're heading to a church service in the city of Boston, Massachusetts, uh, don't bring peanuts with you because there is a law on the books in Boston that prohibits churchgoers from munching peanuts during a church service. That's an actual law. Why that's on the books, I don't know. It's most likely still not enforced today, but there you have it. In Texas... Um, it's, uh, it's against the law to wear a disguise to church. And in Alabama, it's against the law to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter during church. I can imagine whoever was doing that rampantly enough at some time to uh, cause that to be a law. In uh, Omaha, Nebraska, my friends there, uh, don't don't get too quick to judge those in Texas and Alabama because in Omaha, 
It is illegal to sneeze or burp during a church service. And uh, that would be tough if you have a cold or something. In, in New York, there are laws against bodily functions as well. In the city of New York, it's technically against the law to intentionally pass gas in church to cause a disturbance. No word as to uh, how they would enforce an unintentional uh, violation there. In, in Mississippi... Any private citizen can arrest anyone who disturbs a church service. Um, that would be interesting. In, in Maine, uh, it requires church attendees to bring a shotgun to church in case Native Americans attack during a service. Good thing that they hadn't yet beat their shotguns into plowshares, as Scripture might suggest now, we look at laws like that, and they <laughs> might not make sense right off, but there's a couple more. In Ohio, uh, if you plan to kill a housefly within 160 feet of a church building, you will need to have a license. Otherwise, that is illegal. And if you're preaching in Nicholas County, Virginia, it's against the law in that whole county for a clergyman to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during the church service. Now, that's just to have a, a little fun at the beginning here with some of these uh, interesting laws, and I'd love to know the backstory to some of them. But uh, we're going to talk about today if, uh, at least some of what we're going to talk about is is the concept in chapter 21 is, is engaging when it comes down to it, is passing laws when it comes to some issues, especially some of these personal choice, personal social issues, is that the way to go? And we're going to get into that, uh, discuss that, and much more today with my very special guest, Guy Hammond, I'm so grateful to have you with us today. Welcome, and how are you doing? Hey, listen, thanks so much, Mike. So glad to be here, and uh, I just feel really honored to uh, be a part of this uh, global phenomenon, this amazing <laughs> podcast. And, uh, you know, honestly, I've been wondering for quite a while what it was going to take to get invited to speak on this thing. Um, I guess you ran out of uh, people to invite, but nevertheless, I am so glad to finally be here. So thanks for the invitation. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. We have incredibly high standards here, uh, of <laughs> what it takes to get, you know, to make it on this, on this podcast. So now you know that you've made it. Um, cause yeah, this is, uh, this is big time here. Um, nice. <laughs> Uh, uh, of course it's not, but I'm, uh, but you are big time and I'm grateful to have you on. Let me introduce you just a little bit to the audience. Uh, I, I'm going to guess that most people actually know who you are, but there's a few who may not. So let me give that introduction. You, you, you currently, you're from Canada. You live just outside Toronto. Yep. Um, and you are the, you, you've been a, an evangelist and church leader in the past and you're the founder guy is the founder and director of strength and weakness ministry which teaches really all over the united states and all over the globe all over north america uh, particularly on the topics of 
uh, homosexuality, same-sex attraction, uh, your own background with those issues, and how Christians can engage in those issues. And, and the ministry doesn't just teach. It does more than teach. It really counsels and provides resources and helps yeah. people, and is just an amazing uh, ministry. Uh, Guy has been the subject of a documentary film called Finding Guy, which is uh, an amazing film, and we'll we'll talk in a little bit how you can watch that film if you haven't seen it. And he's he's also the author. He's he's a, a fantastic author. I love Guy's books. He's written books such as Caring Beyond the Margins, Messed Up, Return to Sender, Tempt Away. There's a little bit of a theme going on there, I think, with those with those books, Guy. Um, yeah, right. but did, did I miss anything? Should I, did you want to fill anything in there? Wow. Are you kidding? Uh, <laughs> that introduction was so amazing. I'm going to go back and listen to it over and over again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I was half as good as what you just made me sound, that's incredible. Yeah. I'm going to get my kids to listen to that. That that's fantastic. Thank you for introducing me like that. So generously. <laughs> oh, those are just the facts, sir. Okay. Just the facts. Right. Okay. Thank you. But but please fill us in. How has how's your ministry going, and and maybe how has it been affected or changed by the pandemic here in the last year as well? Well, great question. You know, uh, uh, so much of my ministry had been centered around uh, me and my staff traveling around the world to different churches, universities, and faith based groups, uh, teaching. And um, of course, uh, when the pandemic hit. That came to a sudden uh, end. And so uh, we've not been traveling around, but we, like everybody else, had to move quickly to be able to find a way to continue to communicate, get our message out, serve churches, Christians around the world. And uh, so we've been really focusing, of course, on on doing what everybody else is doing, which is doing everything online. So we uh, professionally recorded all of our lessons. We put them all together in a package. We make them available to churches now. Uh, so that a church can uh, hire us to, you know, teach on these really sensitive subjects. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's great. It, it actually, um, you know, saves churches some money because they used to have to pay for my airfare and accommodations and whatnot. Now mm. they, they just do it from my house and they get some uh, great videos and then we do some live stuff too. Anyway, we've had to roll with the punches like everybody else. Right. Not complaining at all, but um, uh, we continue, you know, the ministry has really continued to help a lot of people around the world in spite of this pandemic. So praise God for that. H- has that made it more challenging for you personally or easier to, you know, do so much recording and Zoom teaching from where you're at rather than the travel? Have you uh, have you found that tougher or easier or is it a mix? You know, it's funny when I... Um, was kind of at the peak of travel for me. Um, you know, we were doing uh, 35, 40 um, workshops a year, different week, uh, every weekend. And so we were on the road a lot. And I would tell people, uh, just to sound a little bit humble, I would tell people, ah, oh, this is so hard. It's challenging. I'd just rather be at home. This is really taking out of me all this travel. But the truth is, I loved it. Uh, I loved being able to go to all these places. I Felt so grateful to be able to uh, see so many amazing uh, Christians around the world and be able to see their countries, their cities, their local churches. So I felt really honored to be able to do that. And I loved every minute of it. Now that that has been taken away, honestly, I'm kind of bummed out. I I would much prefer doing it on the road. 
so we'll take advantage of modern technology and what it allows us to do right now. But truthfully, I would much rather come and see you in person, hang out, get to know you and see you face to face than have to do it this way. Yeah, I, I, I identify with that uh, to a, a great deal. Um, you know, I think in traveling a lot and teaching, um, it, it can be tiring. It can wear you down. And there can, there was a part of me that'd be like, I would just like to stay at home. Um, <laughs> and then when that's taken away, you're like, okay, I would like to not stay at home anymore. I right. Like to... <laughs> so so I, true. yeah, I get it. And it's, it's certainly not the same, uh, teaching to be able to be with people and have those lunches yeah. afterwards and connect Absolutely. and then, you know, just sitting on zoom, but, uh, you know, but you can do it in your shorts. So that's, that's <laughs> nice. You know, that's <laughs> how did you know I was wearing shorts? Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Go ahead. <laughs> because a lot of time, because I have done lessons, I'm, I'm, where I've been speaking to a church, I'm wearing a nice shirt or whatever, and then I have a pair of basketball <laughs> shorts on. I've done that. I, I oh, have to confess. Great. So, um, you know, I wonder. Uh, well, before I get to the next question, if, if somebody did want to see your film, the documentary about you finding guy, where could they find that right now? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, so the movie Finding Guy right now, uh, we've just, it's just been made available on YouTube, actually. Um, it, uh, for about a year and a half, kind of did its rounds in, in different churches all around the world. We, I mean, the movie is not um, uh, as big as being able to, like, you know, be shown in a theater or anything. We kind of use churches as our theaters. And so it was uh, seen by, I don't know, we, we estimate about 50,000 people in different churches around the world. And now that it's kind of done that run, we've just made it available on YouTube. So if you just go to YouTube and type in Finding Guy, uh, you'll be able to see the movie there. And, and I think you'll be really encouraged by it. Um, uh, as I said, it, it won't get it nominated for any Academy Awards, but um, it was nominated at the International Christian Film Festival for Best Director and Best Movie. And uh, so it got a little bit of recognition there. And the guys who made the movie... Um, some uh, just some great Christian uh, brothers down in Texas uh, really did a great great job. So I uh, appreciate their efforts, and it's it's a great avenue to help continue to get our message out and what we're trying to accomplish with, with the ministry. So it's a great movie. I think people will enjoy it if they get to watch it. It, it is a fantastic movie, and it's definitely worth watching uh, on a personal level and and as a whole church. I would encourage if you are part of a church that hasn't watch the movie. I think it's very helpful. And, and, uh, just to, just to make clear now, the filmmakers came to you and asked to do a film about you. You weren't clamoring for this. Is that correct? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't clamoring. That's true. No, but you're right, Mike. I was teaching a a workshop for a church in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and, uh, just kind of doing my regular shtick and, uh, a, a brother in the church there, who had just gotten a, a degree in documentary filmmaking was looking for a, um, a subject. And so he came up to me and said, Hey, listen, I don't know how you feel about this, but your, your movie or your, your life is, is somewhat uh, dramatic, especially before you became a Christian, your story is somewhat unique. And, and I don't know, I'd like to make a movie about it. So we hummed and hawed about it. Kathy and I, and my wife, we weren't really sure, but after all, we thought, Hey, let's give it a shot. I mean, we don't know how good this thing will be, but, uh, even if it's bad, bad publicity is better than no publicity at all. Uh, ended up turning out to be pretty good. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're grateful for the impact it's had. I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. I was 
contacted by uh, an evangelist in a church in the southern United States. They had been uh, studying the Bible with a, a man from their community who was gay. And um, it was, uh, they were really having a, a difficult time kind of just really trying to help him deal with the complexities of unraveling his life and allowing him to move to be able to become a Christian. He had a lot of questions that they just weren't really able to answer, it seemed. And then somebody thought, hey, isn't there this movie finding guy? Let's watch that with him. Anyway, they watched the movie with him. And when the movie was done, this gay man said, that's it. All the questions have been answered. I, I got wow. everything I need. Uh, I'm ready to become a Christian now. Wow. And uh, so I think, you know, the movie is great, not only on a personal level, I think it's somewhat entertaining, and I think you can learn some stuff, but I think even for a church, if you're ever studying the Bible with somebody from that background or a pro-gay advocate, and they have a lot of questions on this regard, man, this is the movie to watch. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And, and you know, when I think of the film, your books, The Strength and Weakness Ministry, what what really stands out to me is the... Um, uh, certainly the, the, the biblical teaching of your ministry, but also the compassion and dignity that you uh, present to the, the communities that you're engaging with and, and, and talking about, the LGBTQ communities. Uh, and that's sometimes lacking, I think, in you know, Christianity in the, in the past decades or in, in the culture is that respect and and compassion and dignity and so i i see uh the the ministry that you have is is very powerful and very impactful and effective and i think very different in nature and tone than some you know that maybe operated in the past like exodus uh international mm -hmm. or some things like that yeah. um mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you could, in a, a couple of minutes, maybe just describe for the audience what what it is that Strength and Weakness Ministry does, uh, I think that would be a, a great start here. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I, I um, uh, discovered, you know, at the uh, tender age of around 11 or 12 that I myself was attracted to the same sex. Um, I don't know where that came from. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, that was something that I really struggled with for my teen years. Um, and uh, that was while I was going to a church. Uh, my, my parents took me to church, but it became really clear to me, uh, even in my teens, that um, church was not a safe place to be transparent and open uh, about that struggle. And um, church was not a safe place. My father was um, a nice man, but had very little uh, patience for anything to do with anybody who was gay or involved in that lifestyle. So my dad was not a safe place. Uh, school was not a safe place. And so I remember going through my teen years, being somebody who's attracted to the same sex, feeling very isolated and alone. Uh, there was nowhere to really get any perspective or help. And uh, I just continued uh, down a, a really dangerous path so that by the time I was in my mid-20s, Mike, um, I was uh, living a full gay life. Uh, had been, uh, by the time I was 24 years old, had acted out hundreds of times with different men and just made some terrible choices with my life. And so by the time I was 24, my life was a train wreck. Uh, I, in God's perfect timing, he sent somebody who invited me to go to church and I decided I was, I would reintroduce myself to church and, and try to figure this thing out from a spiritual perspective. And of course I was at a different place in my life and 
very quickly decided I wanted Jesus more than I wanted homosexuality. So I became a Christian and left my gay life behind forever. And um, so that was, believe it or not, back in 1987. I, I've not participated in any kind of homosexual activity since my conversion. Um, however, even though I've not participated in homosexuality since my conversion back in 1987, the, the fact is um, I'm still fully attracted to men. It hasn't changed. It hasn't altered. Um, I'm just as attracted to men today as I was the day I became a Christian 30 some odd years ago. I, uh, so, you know, um, that has made my experience in the church a lot of times feel very lonely and I've often felt very isolated. And um, even though I've so appreciated and valued all that comes with being a Christian and being a part of the church family, I also often felt like, gee, am I the only one? I never heard anyone talk about it. Never heard any other Christians say that they were attracted to the same sex. I mean, I knew statistically I couldn't be the only one, but I just never met anyone else. And finally, um, through the years, I mean, God just blessed my life tremendously. I got married. I had a family. I went into the full-time ministry, became an evangelist. Um, but through all that, still feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling like I'm the only one struggling with the isolation of, uh, and the confusion of being attracted to the same gender, uh, not able to change it. Um, anyway, I finally came to the conclusion. I thought, you know, there's gotta be other people other than me. I mean, I can't be the only one. So I started this website, strength and weakness, praying that we could find it. Uh, my goal was to find 30. I thought if I could find 30 people, that would be amazing. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but we found 30 in the first week and, um, and then the ministry just, it just took off. And, um, so since that, since, since those humble beginnings, when I started the ministry, Mike, it's now grown to, uh, helping, uh, thousands and thousands of Christian men and women in over 70 countries around the world. Uh, we're doing this in three languages. Uh, we are, um, helping all demographics, married, singles, parents, uh, you name it. And, um, you know, we just want to provide a safe place for Christian men and women who are same-sex attracted, struggle with homosexual temptations, a place for them to come where they can talk about that, and we can add some spiritual perspective and uh, give them some guidance. And I can share strategies that I've used to stay faithful for 30-some-odd years without going back to homosexuality. Uh, and uh, we now really focus a lot, too, on helping families, so moms and dads, parents, that kind of thing. If you've got mm. a a family member or a child of yours who's come out who's struggling with homosexuality, then we're the ministry for you. So those are the kinds of things we're focusing on, and that's why we started the ministry. Uh, and it's now good for me to know and for all of us to know we're not alone after all. Uh, we're all in this together, so we're really there to offer support to each other. That's phenomenal. And one of the things I've heard you say uh, many times, uh, I feel like I have, so I hope I'm correct when I say, I, I think I've heard <laughs> you say, is is along the lines of, that you know Christianity is is really at its core aimed at helping people become holy, not heterosexual. Uh, ah, and wow, you actually listened? Yeah, wow. listen. Come on, Thank see? You. Oh my gosh. There you You're go. The one. <laughs> and and I think that's that's such a profound uh, um angle and and foundation that you you build on is not uh, condemning in any way, but in simply showing people the, the wonder of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and, and the pursuit of holiness, which is entirely different than uh, pursuing heterosexuality as though there's something wrong with you, you know, and starting there. So I, I appreciate uh, that 
pillar, I think, of of your ministry. It's really yeah, thank you. good stuff. And and let, let me turn here just a bit, because I do want to ask you a couple questions um, yeah. specifically. And in in my book, Escaping the Beast, I have a chapter where, you know, we're getting into, in the later chapters, how do we engage with some of these issues, economic uh, justice, racial justice, social issues, sanctity of life, environment, all of that stuff. And the chapter that I have on social issues, we focused in on LGBTQ uh, issues in that community. And you were gracious enough to uh, read that chapter for me as I was writing and give a, a little uh, feedback, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. But Loved it. in there, I, I point out that the, the general tenor of West, Western Christianity historically to the LGBTQ community has has been one uh, characterized, I think, a lot by uh, hostility and um, hostility and judgment. Really, has been sort of what people have felt uh, more than compassion or or love or anything like that. Uh, for example, in the in the nineteen eighties, um, yeah, yeah. Evangelist, uh, a preacher, kind of televangelist, James Robeson, actually said from the pulpit in the 1980s, uh, in a in a somewhat famous sermon, "I'm sick and tired of hearing about all the radicals and the perverts and the liberals and the leftists and the communists coming out of the closet." And then, of course, uh, Pat Robertson, uh, another famous television preacher claimed that AIDS was God's judgment uh, against the homosexual community. And even my own experience growing up in sort of typical American evangelicalism, uh, you know, just in, in, in that larger community in the United States, what I grew up with was gay people were spoken against. And that's all I ever heard. They were kind of the, the boogeyman. They were, you know, it, it was pretty common to just say really mean things, honestly, from, from the pulpit and, and not speak of people almost as human, you know, speak of more of the, the homosexual agenda and those sorts of, of things. Um, and so when we add all that up, what sort of impact has that had on these communities and their general response or perceptions of the kingdom of God? What has that done to our witness? Uh, it's, it's damaged it uh, in such a tremendous way. I think uh, it's created an atmosphere of us versus them or them versus us. And um, so many people in the gay community uh, just, have stereotyped most Christians as homophobes, bigoted, uh, right-wing religious nutjobs. Here's the challenge with that. In a lot of cases, it's right. <laughs> They've stereotyped a lot of Christians uh, with that because that's how a lot, not a, every Christian, of course, but a lot of that's how a lot of Christians have been over the years. And uh, honestly, I, I think it has broken God's heart. I think, um, you know, I, I would like to say to anybody who's 
listening to this podcast that um, if, if you or someone you love has ever been maligned or mistreated all in the name of Jesus, uh, you know, because you or someone you love is homosexually attracted or comes from a gay life, you know, I just want you to know how sorry I am that's been your experience. I, honestly, mm. I think God's heart broke with yours. And um, I think the everything that you just so rightly described, Mike, has just been so damaging to the cause of Christ. Uh, and to our gay friends and neighbors. And so, you know, equally with trying to help same-sex attracted Christians, my goal is to let people in the gay community know that uh, God loves them and that there is a place for them in Jesus' church. And uh, that um, just because you are uh, homosexually attracted does not mean that you can't live a faithful Christian life uh, following God. Of course, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be boundaries and restraint and there's a sexual ethic that God calls every human being to follow. Uh, you know, it's not just gay people who have to submit their sexuality to Jesus. Everybody has to submit their sexuality to Jesus. But, uh, you know, listen, Jesus died for everyone. Jesus wants everybody in his church, regardless of what they're attracted to. And uh, so we're really striving as a ministry to make sure people in the gay community know that and try to mm reverse the wrong that's been done for so many years. Yeah. So when, when you, at, you know, in your twenties were, um, you know, still actively living uh, the homosexual lifestyle and you were invited out to church, was that a, was that a weird experience for you? Was that, was there some fear or trepidation or how's this going to go? Uh, did, what was that experience like for you? It was terrifying. Uh, you know, going to church, going back to church again was a terrifying event for me. Uh, I was uh, so afraid of, what, of course, what people would think of me. I was afraid of judgment. I was afraid of being laughed at or mocked. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, but I, here's the thing. I had tried everything I could think of, Mike, to make my life happy and fulfilled. And no matter what I tried, um, you know, I just seemed to make a mess of things and, uh, I was never, I mean, homosexuality was, was exciting at times for me and it was satisfying, but it was never truly fulfilling. I always felt like something was wrong. Something was missing. And, um, so I thought, you know, I'm going to give God another chance here. Um, but it was a terrifying thing to go through that experience. Thankfully, God put me in touch with some, uh, Christian men and women who, uh, did not fit the stereotype and were just genuinely kind and loving and accepting, not approving of how I was living, but certainly very accepting of me. And um, that was by the hand of God. And they really helped bring me around to faith in Jesus. Mm. So what are, what are some of the ways that uh, as individual Christians or as a church, we can uh, go about really sending that message of uh love, uh, you know, and, and the inclusion of the kingdom rather than the, the, the judgment or hostility? Are there some practical things we can think about in engaging in that way? Well, first thing I would say to most people is it would be wrong for you to assume that homosexuality is the worst of all sins. Mm. It's not. There's nowhere in the Bible that points out homosexuality as being anything worse than any other sin. In, including pride or arrogance or, or uh, you know, deceit or whatever. So it's not the worst of all sins. That's number one. Number two, 
it would be wrong to assume that gay and lesbian people have no interest in spiritual things. Uh, I think there's a lot of gay and lesbian people who have not given up on their spiritual moorings, which a lot of them were brought up with in their youth, and a lot of them would love to be able to have a relationship with God again. They just need to find a safe, loving church where they won't be judged like that, and they'll, they'll be given time and space to figure this out. The next thing I would suggest is that um, we focus on hospitality. Uh, you know, that that the only way we're really going to have a dramatic impact with our gay um, and lesbian friends and neighbors is that we uh, are hospitable. We invite them into our homes. We spend time with them. We share our lives with them. Um, and uh, we let them see our lives. And uh, I think, you know, once we start doing that, what we'll be saying to people is that we, we, we may not agree on everything, but you're a welcome guest here. We want you to know we care about you. We love you. And, and, and then we serve people. We love people. I mean, love is never wrong. Uh, there will be many, of course, who don't want to end up becoming a Christian, but there will be other Guy Hammonds out there who will be so impressed and so moved by that kind of love and hospitality and non-judgmentalism that uh, they'll, their hearts will be open. And what we want to do is create room and time and space for people to come to church, sit down and and and, and read the Bible together, learn about Jesus, uh, giving them giving them time and space for their hearts to kind of figure all this out because these are complex realities. Hmm. Um, the other thing I'd say is um, a challenge that I give to a lot of churches is this, Mike: Can we be secure enough in our own faith to allow our churches to be filled with people who are at different places along their spiritual journey? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we we feel like everyone's got to kind of fit into a certain box of what it means to, what it looks like for someone to become a Christian. I'm saying, no, that's not the case at all. It, it, the truth is, it took me two years, two years of going to church, two years of hearing the message before I finally was able to leave homosexuality behind and become a Christian. It was a two-year journey for me. Uh, how many churches would be that be willing to be that patient to allow a gay man to come for two years uh, while he's learning, while he's bu building relationship, while he's learning about Jesus in the Bible, took two years. Thank goodness the church I went to didn't kick me out after a couple of months and go, well, you're just not repenting fast enough. They gave me time and room and space to figure it out. And so um, can we be secure enough in our own faith and our own churches to leave that uh, leave space for the Holy Spirit to do his work? I mean, sometimes the Holy Spirit's just going to work at a different pace than we would like him to. We think the Holy Spirit needs to get all the work done in a matter of weeks or months. Maybe it's going to take a couple of years like it did with Guy Hammond, but why would we have a problem with that? So uh, hospitality is key. Taking our time is key. Um, and uh, yeah, just just making sure that we're giving room and time and space for the Holy Spirit to do his thing. Yeah, that's so good. So helpful. Um, let me let me pull back out a little bit here at a, at a larger scale now. And one of the tenets that I put forth in Escaping the Beast is that the, the kingdom of God at a fundamental level is about choice. And so to, to keep the, that fundamental characteristic of the kingdom of God, we have to, as Paul says, avoid using the weapons of the world, but use the weapons of the kingdom. And so we've got to be very wary of things that might take on the tenor of coercing uh, or forcing people into something or uh, bringing about morality through power or legislation and that kind of thing. And so I, 
I, I make the case that I think one of the mistakes that's easily made is is in thinking that the goal of Christianity is to make people morally good. And uh, whatever means, then we do that. And of course, we use our, our biblical definition of what we think that is. And then, hey, if that means passing laws and keeping people from behavior that they want to choose, then that's good for them because that's, you know, that's um, showing them the kingdom of God. And uh, so that became kind of a popular choice in the 70s and 80s. Uh, what, what's your response to that? Oh my goodness. You know, you just, you just made all the hairs of my neck stand up. <laughs> I, I want to scream. Uh, listen, you're so right, Mike. One of the greatest gifts God has given mankind is the ability for us to be able to choose. God is such a gentleman. He doesn't force us to do anything. Uh, he gives us his truth and then he leaves it up to us to decide what we will do with our lives. Of course, we all have to live and die by the consequences of the choices, but God lets us choose how we will live our lives. Mm. To think that Somehow, uh, we as Christians should mandate, uh, you know, our morals, our principles, and our values uh, on anyone who doesn't desire to be a Christian is insane to me. Uh, is 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 completely backwards and completely disrespectful and out of line with God's will. As I said, I think it's God's will to give people the freedom of choice. So I'll give you, for example, the issue of gay marriage. You know, I get this question all the time. What do I think about gay marriage? I'm like, I don't care. Like. Listen, yes. God has given everyone the right to choose how they will live. If people want to, if gay people want to get married, that's their business. I think it's so wrong for us to legally, uh, in our courts and our laws, mandate how people are going to live their lives like that. Uh, if, if people become interested in spiritual things and they want to have a spiritual conversation, we can sit down and ha oh, have an open Bible. Well, that's a different. That's a different conversation. The context is completely different there. But if, if we're trying to control how other people are going to live their lives through, um, you know, uh, mandates from the pulpit, uh, trying to tackle this from uh, the political uh, political perspective, I just think we're making a huge mistake there. Yeah. Um, no, that's such a great point. I, I I'm I'm with you heart and soul, and I think, uh, you know, fighting against legislation to enforce the morals of Christianity, even though we might think that they're good and God-given and superior, actually um, shows something other than the kingdom. And if you establish the kingdom through non-kingdom methods, then you've lost the kingdom at that point. And go ahead. You know, I was just going to say, Mike, the, the, as you were talking, this thing, this is what sprung to my mind, is that I also think it's a lot of times it's it's a mistake for Christians uh, to get um, overly concerned um, in the political realms on these kinds of issues, because we could end up uh, fighting so strongly in the public square uh, on, on things like homosexuality and trying to mandate certain laws uh, that um, by the time we get around talking to talking to people about Jesus, they don't want to hear us because we've spoken so loudly in the public square on the political side of things that People don't care what we have to say when it comes around to Jesus. So I just think we've got to be really careful. Social justice reform and those kinds of things, these are all important. We've all got a role to play in our Christian life as we deal with these kinds of issues. But I think there's a very fine line there between uh, doing that and doing so in a way that will actually shut people down where they don't want to hear what we have to say when it comes around to Jesus. And that has to be our priority. So uh, going after these kinds of, um, going after people uh, and trying to, um, 
you know, shut down how they're going to live their lives politically based on, on um, uh, yeah, based on politics, I think is just a huge mistake. And I think it also detracts from our ultimate message, which is the message of Jesus. Yeah. How do, how do you think things might have played out differently if, say, in the 1980s and moving forward, rather than the most vocal response from Christians being, uh, let's make sure we fight against gay marriage and try to keep homosexuality illegal or, you know, the different, various different um, efforts that, that people have made. If instead of that response, the larger visible response of the Christian community was in the 1980s, let's rush in and help people with AIDS. Let's love them. Let's nurture them. Let's show them the love of Christ and, and do what the early Christians did, rush in and help the sick and, and take care of the, the poor. How would that have played out differently, you think, in the relationship between the LGBTQ community and the Christian community? Well, I mean, obviously, I think it just would have made such a, a dramatic difference. And, and I think we could have had a greater impact for Christ, uh, not only in regards to how many people might have been willing to give their life to Christ, but just uh, being able to be an accurate representation of who Jesus was. Uh, I think um, how the quote unquote Christian world responded on, on issues like AIDS in, in back in the 1980s meant that we were terrible ambassadors for Jesus. And, and people who called themselves Christians said and did things in the name of Jesus that Jesus would never say or do. So I think it was um, it's, it's taken decades for us to try to be able to um, uh, erase that terrible history. Here's the good news is that we can today, uh, by, by joining with our gay friends and neighbors on issues that they care about, that we can today uh, help eradicate that terrible history by being great ambassadors of Jesus. And one of the ways I suggest we do that is that we find uh, issues in our world today that we all agree on. Uh, there are there are, are issues globally that gay and lesbian people uh, agree on that we agree on. You know, things like world hunger, mm. you know, things like um, uh, climate change. Uh, I mean, the list is long, you know, a poverty, a homelessness, um, uh, uh, child abuse. I mean, good night. I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're straight. I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. Listen, we all agree on that stuff. And so why can't we find ways to be able to work alongside each other? We may not see eye to eye on everything, but on those issues, we can walk side by side, hand in hand and work together. And I think it would be a beautiful statement for Christians to find ways to work with the gay community on the issues that we do agree on so that they can, through that way, see the love, mercy mm. and compassion of Jesus. Amen. Uh, yeah, well said. Uh, that's very well said. And I, I, I super appreciate what you're saying there. And, and one of the things I really love about you, Guy, and your ministry is that at, at no point are you suggesting a laydown or a compromise of the teachings of Jesus, uh, but you're just enacting all of them and not cherry picking uh, the ones that, uh, you know, you might like or, or prefer. Um, and so you're not compromising the teaching of Jesus on, on sexuality and holiness and that sort of thing, but you're also pursuing showing love and dignity and, and kindness. And so I, I really appreciate, uh, the way you've led the, the charge in that. And really, I, I think, 
uh, redefined for so many followers of Jesus what it looks like to be a, a, a kingdom citizen in this area. Uh, mm. you, you've you've said so much good stuff, um, and so you know, don't feel like you have to come up with something new to this question. But what well, what's your biggest piece of advice to help kingdom communities? best show the beauty of the kingdom to the LGBT community? And maybe if you've already answered it, you can just refer and maybe summarize, but what's your, what's your best piece? Like here's one place to really start, uh, you know, uh, being the kingdom and maybe counteracting some of the damage that's been done in the past. Well, I think, you know, we need to be people who are um, uh, incredibly humble and I think when, when, when gay people see the church, they don't see a lot of humility. Here, here's an interesting thing, Mike. Um, do you know that uh, the Bible speaks about judgmentalism, pride, arrogance over 800 times? Wow. But it only talks about homosexuality in a direct fashion five times. <laughs> so the, the score is 800 to five here. Now, I get it. You, you can't judge the importance of any uh, scripture uh, or topic based on how many times it's mentioned in scripture. The truth is, is if, if the home, if the Bible only talked about sexual ethics just once, it should be enough for us to, you know, live as pure men and women of God. And if the Bible only talked about pride and arrogance and humility just once, it should be enough to cause us to be, be people who are humble. That said, the fact that the score is 800 to 5, I think should really uh, stress upon Christians that when it comes to complex issues like homosexuality, transgender issues, um, gender dysphoria, uh, lesbianism. I mean, these are complex things. These are not easy things to figure out. And I, I would like to stress that, listen, folks, let's let's show a little bit of humility here, a little bit of compassion and, and, and recognize that, you know, these are not simple things that we're asking people to work through as they uh, try to follow Jesus. So if we can approach these issues with a little bit of hesitancy before we speak so quickly and just shoot off, you know, these ridiculous statements uh, without really thinking about how we're coming across and what we're saying. If we can, we can approach them with some humility, some hesitancy, and some kindness, recognizing the the complexities of what we're discussing. I think then we could go a long way with our gay friends and neighbors. Again, the score is 805 here, folks. So you know, everybody, take a step back and let's all think before we speak and show e enormous amounts of love and kindness to uh, people as we talk to them about Jesus. Oh, that's very helpful. I, I appreciate that. That's a really good point. Um, Guy, what, what's next for strength and weakness ministry? What's, what's the future look like? What are you working on? What, what's up and coming? Thanks for asking. Um, so um, two, two things. Uh, the first one, Mike is honestly, um, Wow, I feel like, you know, I'm uh, having to uh, stand up for biblical truth on the issues of uh, sexual ethics in a way I never had before. You know, it wasn't a fight that I ever really wanted to uh, have to get involved in. Um, I just wanted to help some same-sex attracted Christians. But I my concern has become that uh, society and culture has spoken so loudly on the issues of sexual ethics that a lot of Christians are coming to the conclusion that you can be gay and a Christian. And, uh, you know, from everything that we've already talked about, all I'm, of course, all about love, kindness, mercy, compassion, that there's room for in Jesus' church for everyone. 
But I've become concerned that there are so many people in our churches around the world, especially of a younger demographic than me, who are losing their respect for the authority of scriptures uh, when it comes to sexual ethics. And the authority of scripture has to be paramount. And I find so many people um, really uh, being persuaded uh, on this issue based on emotion. Uh, but my question is, is where's the examination of the scripture? And uh, I've become very alarmed and concerned by how many people in our churches are beginning to buy into an argument that uh, is being spouted off in a lot of circles today that you can be gay and a Christian. I don't see that in the Bible. So I, I feel like um, I, I feel like now I'm kind of like Nehemiah, you know, who had to build the walls around Jerusalem. You know, he there, he was building a wall, but yet people were coming to tear the wall down. And I feel like in the church. We're trying to build a wall of righteousness and purity and biblical truth, but there has never been a time, I don't think, in, in church history when so many people have been so eager to try to build down the wall of biblical truth. And so I feel like as Nehemiah, I have to build with a tool in one hand and a spear in the other, uh, where we need to teach and educate people on biblical truth when it comes to sexual ethics. Of course, do so with teaching the everything we've already been talking about, love, mercy, kindness, compassion, showing dignity and respect with the people who disagree with us, but that uh, we teach uh, the importance of the authority of scripture. And so that's become a concern of mine and something that uh, I'm really starting to focus on now uh, in my ministry. Um, the other thing I'll say is that um, we've really had a new focus on trying to uh, be a ministry that really speaks to, uh, you know, the demographic of people say between the ages of 15 and 25. And so We've got a huge push on right now to be able to help teens, campus, and young professionals. And uh, we've started a new podcast. If I could talk, tell you about my own podcast, yeah, it's called yeah, it's called Home from Home with Thomas and Topher. Home from Home with Thomas and Topher. It's actually uh, a discussion answer, a question to answer, a podcast that we started uh, earlier in the year. Lots of people are listening to it, but it's all to talk about these issues that we've been talking about homosexuality, transgender issues, Christianity, how all these things relate to us in regards to matters of faith. And uh, you can find it on all the different podcast um, uh, outlets, but Home From Home with Thomas and Topher. So uh, that's specifically really for 15 to 25 year olds, maybe up to the age of 30. Of course, anybody can listen to it. You'd get a lot out of it. Um, but that's uh, an area of ministry that we're really excited about right now. Oh, amazing. Um, let, let me uh, kind of come to an end with a couple questions. I want to ask you this one. What, what's one talent or gift that you have that very few people know about? <laughs> You're killing me, Mike. You're killing me. Here's the thing. I don't have a lot of gifts and talents. I can barely tie my shoes without getting confused. <laughs> but what is a gift or talent? that I have that most people don't know about. Wow. That is really an awkward question. You caught me off guard. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the intent of that question. That was the, yeah, well, mission accomplished. <laughs> okay. So, I, okay. That, I don't know if this is, this is not a talent, but it's, this is just something about me that most people wouldn't know is that I am a total clean freak. I, I bathe constantly. I wash my hands constantly. I, um, I'm very concerned about how I look. I, and, oh, this is going to be hard to say, but you know, um, 
so this is, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud to you, but uh, my wife is always kind of uh, laughing with me because I just happen to think I'm an incredibly good looking man. So whenever <laughs> I look in the mirror, I'm like, wow, I'm good looking. Like, I just feel like God's blessed me with incredible looks. Now, the truth is, uh, if you're ever to see a picture of me, I'm, I'm a six foot four, 300, 300 pound galute. Uh, <laughs> I look, kind of look like a gorilla, truthfully. But I think I'm a very confident person. Um, I, I think that comes out in how I talk, how, how I come across, how I feel about myself. It, I, I make decisions very quickly and very confident in the decisions that I make. I don't spend a lot of time trying to figure things out. I, I spend a little bit of time praying and then I run with it. I go with it. So I'm a very confident person in who I am, how I look, how I come across and the decisions that I make. I'm a big believer in, you know, make, you know, uh, one day where none of us are going to be here. We don't have a yeah. lot of time left. So, you know what? Let's just pick up and go, man. We don't have time <laughs> to sit around and think about stuff all day long. So a big decision and just big, big uh, believer. I'm just making decisions and go with it. So I'm very confident in that way. Oh, that's Boy, awesome. I just threw out a lot of stuff there. I'm no, that's freak. awesome. I think I'm incredibly handsome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I make decisions very quickly and very confident. All right. That's that's fantastic answer. I appreciate that. I, I, I you know, I'll, I'll say this to kind of commiserate with you. Uh, I'm not a clean freak, but I'm a neat freak. Those are two different things, of course. But so I'm, I'm within that general area of the, the universe. Last question, who has the better food, Canada or the United States? Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so you're going to be surprised. The United States. All right. Um, you know, I, I love my home country, but you know, I live in a very Northern climate. And, you know, our, 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 um, our food is pretty selective here. Uh, I love traveling to the United States. I love especially traveling in your southern states where there's quite a variety of different kinds of food. Um, you know, Mexican food, for instance. And, and um, I just love the, the, yeah, the different kind of foods that I find in the southern states. So actually, I much would rather uh, spend my time in the U.S. eating than here in Canada. Well, there you go. Guy has spoken and given a, spoken. a definitive answer. Um, yes. You know, I haven't spent a ton of time in Canada. I've been there a couple times and I, I wanted to try, what is it? Poutine? Am I saying that right? <laughs> but, um, but, but, uh, people that oh. the, the friends I was with were like, you're not ready for poutine yet. You, you, you can't <laughs> handle it. So <laughs> yeah. Poutine. You got to be tough to do poutine, man. I'll tell you, but that is that is purely Canadian. You don't get much more uh, Canadian than uh, you know having uh, French fries completely covered in cheese curds and then covered in gravy. Uh, that's about as Canadian as it gets, right there. I don't know how you don't just die eating that right on the spot. Like, yeah, you're basically a walking heart attack. <laughs> you're, you're basically when you eat that stuff. Yeah, you're basically a walking heart attack. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, Guy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time. Uh, it's been invaluable. I appreciate your, your answers, your, your guidance. Uh, appreciate so much how God is using you. And may God continue to bless you so that you can bless so many others. Hey, Mike, honestly, the, the honor is mine. Uh, you've, you've been a hero of mine for quite a while. And, uh, and, and I know a supporter of my ministry and uh, so I'm really grateful to you. Thanks for all that you're doing. But I honestly, I, when you invited me to be on this thing, I felt so humbled. I was like, really? You want me? Wow. I was so excited. So thank you for letting me do this. I, I feel really special. Oh, I appreciate it. The pleasure's mine. 
and thanks again. All right.